I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to delve a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and the region. I'm Martin Pearce. Policy Forum Pod is based in the beautiful surrounds of Crawford School of Public Policy at the Australian National University. You can find out more about Crawford School at crawford.anu.edu.au. Today we're taking a look at a policy issue that is out of this world. But don't worry, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to keep up. If you paid attention to Australia's recent budget, you may have heard that the government has put aside $41 million towards launching a new national space agency. So how will that money be spent and what will the agency mean for Australia's growing space industry? My guests today for this stellar podcast are Anna Moore and Brad Tucker. Professor Anna Moore is the Director of the Advanced Instrumental Technology Centre at the ANU. She was also a member of the Expert Reference Group, which contributed to the recent government review of Australia's space sector. My other guest, Dr Brad Tucker, is an astrophysicist at the ANU Research School of Astronomy and Astrophysics. His research looks at things like cosmology, supernova, dark energy and asteroid mining. Don't forget, we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we've talked about today or in previous podcasts. You can email us at podcast at policyforum.net. Alternatively, you can always share your thoughts and comments with us on Twitter, where we are Apps Policy Forum, or find us on Facebook, where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. But for now, let's get lost in space policy. Brad and Anna, thanks for joining the podcast. No worries. Thank you. The recent Australian budget announced $41 million to kickstart a national space agency, of which $25 million was for the agency and $16 million was for a space investment fund. Um, there was also $260 million to develop satellite technology. But before we actually get into talking about the agency and Australia's prospects in the final frontier, and I apologise, that's probably the first of a few space Puns are encouraged puns. in space, that's all right. <laughs> I'm sure I'll make a few of them today. Uh, but before we get into talking about the agency, perhaps, Anna, you could paint a bit of a picture for us. What does Australia's space agency or space industry currently look like? What's, what's, the, con- what's the country doing in the field of space research? So it's very broad, and every state has a, has a unique story in the area of space industry. And so currently it's, it sits at the 0.8% GDP level, which is uh, $3 or $4 billion, I would say, right now. And, the, and just for reference, the total market, global market, is uh, about $400 billion as of last year. Uh, that's Australian dollars. So it gives you an idea of where Australia sits here. Um, 
And so from a capability perspective, uh, we um, are very strong in, a f- in several areas. So uh, the, the telecommunications, the ground segment um, is one of our strong capabilities and one of our oldest capabilities. Uh, that's both in, um, in ACT, Tidbinbilla, in Western Australia, in several other states. Um, we have strong capability in um, the data analytics so this is uh, uh, Geoscience Australia and, and many other um, uh, um, collaborations across the country are, have got um, years-long expertise in um, taking satellite data, imagery, spectroscopy, and actually converting that to something that's real world. You know, uh, so um, whether it's looking at uh, waterways or fires or agriculture is obviously a big one for Australia. Um, there's a huge sector in the R&D, uh, the university and uh, the government agencies, so both in uh, new sensor development, new materials. Um, uh, so um, ANU, for example, has had uh, uh, many successes working with NASA, uh, uh, providing technology for, th- for, for uh, missions. Um, and in fact, there's, there's a mission launching next week because the Grace is following. So it's very exciting. Sunday, 6 7 a.m. Yeah, very exciting. So um, it has um, a strong experience uh, in states like South Australia. They have a, um, a, a booming uh, sector which works alongside defense industry. And of course, there's a component of that which is related to space. Um, and um, so uh, it's um, a lot of this maybe hasn't risen to... Um, to the mainstream and certainly overseas, and, and we're, we're looking at an agency to be able to do that for us and to not just do that but to ex, you know, ex, expand what we're doing as well and, and grow that exponentially. So there's obviously a lot of activity happening already. Let's talk a little more about that agency. Um, how will the new agency that the Australian government has funded through the budget actually change the landscape of, of space research that you've just talked about there? So I was a member of the space, what was called the Space Expert Reference Group. And uh, this was assembled by um, uh, Minister Sinodinas last year. And um, this was a fantastic experience for, for anyone, for certainly myself and anyone else who was on that. Because it meant that we could um, actually reach out to the national community and find out what people were doing uh, in the area of space, uh, both from the public to the small uh, industry, large industry, the government agencies, the universities, everyone. And it was great. It was fantastic. The response was amazing. And so what we could also ask was, well, what do you need? And what, do you, what is currently lacking? And, and, uh, and the response to that was, was great. And the first, the, first re- the first response we got was, we need a front door. We need a single front door to our activities, both from, um, from setting up international partnerships uh, new ones, current ones. It's, it was very, it's currently very spotty. It's very sort of three institutions have an MOU with the same International Space Agency and, and that doesn't really give the right message overseas, I think. So, so we need that single front door to all our, our activities. Um, also on the regulation side, I think it was, uh, we heard a, a big response from industry, especially small industry in, in particular, which was, the regulation side of it, the launch licensing, the spectra, the spectrum licensing, all these things you need to do. It was all down to the, the company to find out who to talk to, how to do that. 
And just simple things like that, the agency could basically step in and, and just accelerate those processes for, for especially the, 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 the smaller industry. And um, the third thing was, uh, was, a, was expanding the um, uh, exports, you know, just getting exports out there, what, highlighting what we do, what's unique and paradigm shifting and getting that outside of Australia, getting it up on the right level internationally was, was really important. So these kind of things, you know. And then, of course, a little bit more funding would be really good, too. That was, that was also raised. And it wasn't just a numerical amount. It, it was more about um, getting quick access to startup funds, which um, would help with, with, with startups and industry. Uh, I think that the, univer- the university sector and the industry sector work on different timescales when it comes to funding. The universities can wait just a little bit longer. It's okay for us to do so. But that's not the case when you're starting up something. You've got people to pay and you've got to get things done quickly. And so um, so these kind of things were detailed in the report and and uh, were passed on to government. And I think they listened to that. It's one of the, sorry, I was going to say, it's one of the interesting times where you, you kind of need bureaucracy because you actually need the bureaucracy. Like, I think people have a hard time understanding it. And it's because exactly what Anna said. It's actually so hard to, I mean, I'd like the, the QB50 example. Uh, ANU, Sydney, UNSW, South Australia, and Adelaide built three small satellites for a larger project. And it was a nightmare to deal with the insurance and policies with all these groups because it was left like, you know, imagine a research school or a department, university's department's head having to negotiate with space launch companies and agencies to put something in space. It's kind of like, how do you even do this? But that's what's been happening for 50 years in this country. And that's the whole that's what the space agency solves. It helps researchers do their job. Brad Anna mentioned a little bit of funding there, and it is kind of a little bit of funding. I mean, $41 million sounds a lot, sounds a lot to me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how much you earn, but I imagine it sounds like a fair amount to you as well. But when you're talking about setting up a new agency, uh, a large public policy entity, entity $40, $41 million isn't a huge amount, and it's certainly nothing on the scale of the almost $20 billion that the US will be pumping into NASA um, uh, next year, judging by the reasonably relatively low investments amounts, should we be lowering our expectation about what this new space agency might actually be able to achieve? I thought the investment was was higher than than this. I was really excited when I saw the the federal budget because it's more than what the ERG would actually recommended for the agency for this year. And so just to give a bit of a backstory, that it wasn't it wasn't just the forty one million dollars for the agency setup, which was acknowledged to be setup, seed funding, kickstart. Those were the words that were used. So that automatically states and gives the message that that's just what we need to get to get the the core of the agency together to to start tackling those outreach and this get work with the states, plan with the states what they want to do, where they want to go, what's the business plan. That's what that's for. It's not for actually growing the industry significantly so we can make that 10 to $12 billion in 10 years' time. What was fantastic, though, out of this federal budget was the additional $260 million for really exciting infrastructure. Um, and so, um, so $50 million of that was, to, um, was for, for Geosciences Australia to um, uh, 
to produce a, their second version of their digital globe um, satellite imagery, which was which is amazing stuff. They've been doing that for a long time. And, and then another $200 million was to invest in an infrastructure project to do with GPS, enhanced GPS positioning, which has been proposed for a long time. It's an excellent team. It hasn't. It's not just a flash in the pan kind of thing. It's something that's been proposed for a very long time and was recommended by the ERG as one of its highest ranked proposals for space-related infrastructure, actually. And so this is to provide everyone in Australia and in close maritime waters um, something like a three-centimetre positioning capability. By which you mean what? So, like, for instance, like in this room, we know whether we're in this building versus to, you know, where the glass is on the table. Right. Or, for okay. example, if you're driving, if, if you're in a car that's automated, then you can imagine the, um, the improvements in something like that. Uh, you can, can help you, someone who is, 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 has, is, um, is blind, for example. I mean, three centimeters is the level of accuracy you need to guide someone who's walking down the street. Farmers can geotag cattle. Right. I mean, think about it. They can they can know exactly where their their resources and their, their business are to besides where they're not spending. Resources. You're talking about for farming, automation, for mining, the, 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 the uh, vehicle automation. I mean, the potential there is huge. And it's across the country. It's for every Australian to I mean, we're, we're, we're making the suggestions of things that are obvious to us. But who knows where this can can go? You know, anyone creative can can think of a great idea to spin out of this. And so from my perspective, this is an investment in in a space-related industry. I mean, this is GPS positioning. It's done very wisely because it's given to a team that's been putting this together and developing it with the government and developing it with uh, regional Australia for a very long time. And so I'm not seeing for just $41 million here invested to start the agency. I'm seeing 200 or $300 million to invest in Australia's space industry. And that's further along than what I expected us to be uh, a few months – well, what, sorry, a few weeks a few after weeks. the report oh, is released. Oh, <laughs> less than that. Less than that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, okay, a few months yeah. after we submitted the report. It's remarkable. I, I, I also – I've thought a lot about this, this $41 million that people quote. And I actually think it's good on the smaller side. And, and the reason being is this. You know, when it's payday, you're not frugal. When it's two days before payday and you got a hundred bucks and you got to fill up your car and you got to eat, you use that money a lot more efficiently than the right after payday. And it's because you think about what you're doing. And I think that's what Australia needs to do now. It's not that we don't want to do everything, you know, because if, if the government says there's 300 million, you know, let's start a space agency, everyone will have an idea and ask for money, and that is just the money will – the percent that would be quote-unquote wasted, not used as effectively as it could, I just think the return would not be there. We need to make sure that that money we have now leads to the seed funding that grows what we need to grow. And so I'm glad we can take these steps and do it methodically because if it's, if it's a, you know, a buffet, it's not going to end well. And, it's true, right? And to do it nationally, I mean, one, you know, this was very clear from the ERG processes. Um, we're not going to grow the industry to where we want it to be and to be doing the projects we want to do, launching missions and up at the $12 billion level in 10 years' time. We're not going to be there 
without the whole nation backing this and in working towards doing it. And that means the agency itself has got to um, really understand, I think, where, where each of these states wants to be. And um, I can easily imagine it being like a node system, just like NASA, where you know, where you've got the agency, but but setting up, you know, based on existing capability, where this each state wants to go, each state has its own story to tell, and each state should be funded adequately to be able to do that. So you need, I think this is a national, it's absolutely a national journey, and it won't happen un- unless it, it is, it is that way. Well, these sounds like very exciting times ahead, but how do Australia's efforts compare to other countries around the world? Are, are we a bit late to the space party or are we actually doing pretty well for a country of our size? So, well, uh, yes and no, <laughs> which is not a great answer. You're smiling at me. So, yes, of course, we are late. I mean, you know, the UK, Canada, Singapore... Uh, that are more recent in developing their space agencies are, are, are further ahead in terms of GDP, you know, in, fer- in terms of how many jobs are associated with their relative industries, their respective industries. But is it too late? No. And, and I think this is um, this is largely because um, because access to space now is just completely changed. It's been reduced in cost. Uh, the potential is now for for ever, for anyone it's come to anyone really rather than it being at a a central well funded you know single agency that that has to do it that way because it's so expensive the access to space and and data products and everything else is is just it's just exploded i mean everyone can have a story now and so um, everyone can be part of that. And so Australia's forming an agency in that paradigm shift. And so it means that it can form that agency knowing that. It doesn't have, you know, the, the positives here, you want you to always look at the positives. The positives here is that the agency can grow without any of the hindrance of, of a large bureaucracy that would have happened if it was done 50 years ago. It can be nimble, agile. It can think very industry-orientated. And Australia's great this way it's a much smaller population it's a very educated population and it can it can move quickly it can move quickly into this arena so it's very exciting you know it's i think it goes back to the cost you know you can actually do something really well space satellite wise for a few million dollars and that sounds like a lot of money but it's it's actually not a, a small business can afford a few million dollars and and I think there's one thing people don't realize. There are areas that NASA struggles in. No one talks about it, but NASA's not great in everything anymore, right? You know, just think of how many people are behind SpaceX now because the technology is transformative that you need to be able to adapt to where the market's moving. And I, I like using this example. The traditional space mission that's been happening has been taking 10 to 15 years sometimes to do. How many times have you changed your phone in that time? Right. So you're designing something based on 10 year old tech. By the time it's flying, it's doing its thing. It's like 20 iPhone generations away. Right. And and so we need to be quicker and adapting to what the technology is allowing us to do. And there's groups that struggle with this. But we can set up something that's not. There are certainly some of my phones that I would have been happy to launch into, <laughs> into space, to be honest. But, uh, but Brad, you talked about spending the money wisely. What should we actually expect to get? for the investment. What will success look like for Australia's space industry? I I think it's something, it has to be self-sustaining. And I know that's just a word that people 
flow around, but I think that if you look at space 25 years ago, it was 80, 85% government money, 15% industry money, private companies. I mean, it, it is the exact opposite now, and that disparity is growing more. I mean, private companies are playing the role of space now. And I think success is that it's a space agency that is private business focused, supported by the national government, not that it's the national government necessarily supporting industry. You can have both. And, I, and that's what Australia needs to happen, I think, in, in my opinion. And what everyone kind of the consensus was is this is what has to happen. Now, we can do really fun things. And I think it's good to think lofty. You know, I, I do. You know, everyone asks, are we going to have someone on, the, on Mars uh, I would say it's why not? Why not think of those aspirations? And now those it's not going to happen in the next twenty years. But even NASA says it's not going to happen until twenty forty at best. Because um, when you realize how difficult it is and how deadly it is, it scares you. Um, uh, so we should think of lofty lofty aspirations, but have clear goals and and ways to achieve that because um, it is the big goals that allow us to do the small steps and the small steps effectively but we have a rich history in australia of being creative and doing interesting things you know cyro always lists the litany of technology spinoffs they have which are great but one of the problems i've seen is that what the researcher develops hasn't as effectively been pushed into industry and push as to technology spinoffs and patents and IPs and stuff that generates money. A successful, successful space agency links those two and does that. And I think, you know, imagine if CSIRO fully owned the patent the whole time for 802.11 Wi-Fi. I mean, CSIRO's been funded for decades in that case, right? It, it's just those simple things. And I hope it does it well off the bat. You talked about lofty aspirations there. And I want to ask a slightly more, perhaps a slightly more philosophical than a policy question. In the 20th century, we saw, now space seemed to be an area of policy that really captured the public imagination. You think back to the space race between the US and the Soviet Union to Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you think Australian space policy could ever capture the public imagination in the same way? Is there an element of romanticism in what's happening here or is it an entirely sort of pragmatic uh, economic decision? Oh, I, I don't. I think you've got to have both. Mm. If you don't have the inspiration, I mean, I, I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a four-year-old and I guarantee not one of them is going to be inspired if I start talking about GDP and 1.8%, okay? And... You know, I would have been the same. Would I have been an astronomer if my, if my mother had done the same thing? Probably not. I mean, I was inspired because I used to, used to sit on the roof every night and when I could and look up at the stars and think what was there. That's what made me do what I'm doing now, and I've never looked back. You've got to have that element. It captures the, the younger generation and to, 
you know, just to, to wonder. And I think that's one of the most most amazing things, uh, you know, to create in a in a in a generation. And of course, you need to um, you need to help their parents, right? So they want to know that their kids have got jobs when they come through. And that's where the more practical side of it is really important. So you've got to have both, and you can have pride in both. But it's it it shouldn't just be one or the other. It's not going to be sustainable. And I think those loft, you know, when you think of these big challenges, like, I mean, the challenge of putting a human on Mars, there's a lot to it. But it's when you do those problems and ask those questions, you get the challenging solutions that are the things that benefit, you know, business, right? When you want to do something complicated, you need a complicated solution. That, that Like, that's it. And those complicated solutions are the ones that transform people's everyday lives. And they did it because they wanted that complex question. And so, yeah, you need it. And Australia can do it. I, I, I fully believe that Australia will have the visionaries to do it because we already do. Um, we do. I, I was a keynote. I had a wonderful experience last year to be keynote speaker at um, an event that was hosted by the New South Wales Science Teachers Association. I don't know if do you know about it. Have you been to one of these? Yeah. Unbelievable um, organization, mostly teachers who put in their free time to help hundreds of students around the state to um, to be inventors, really. That's, mm. that's what it was. And in fact, right now, and right now, because I just saw my Facebook, right now they, um, the, the top students are, um, are competing on the world stage with their inventions and their ideas. And lo- I think last year was the first time an Australian uh, high school student won the, or got one of the, either won the event or was very got, high. I think they got second, yeah, yeah. And and I just we're literally talking about hundreds of kids from the age of five, um, one one of whom had um, come up with a great. We did an experiment with how can you um, increase this, the speed of your skis because he was from from sort of that area, and he used all these different you know waxes and gels. This is a five year old, yeah. five year old, five, wow, okay, all the way to eighteen, and um, for and some of these uh, inventions were to do with. Um, you know, just uh, um, to do with breast breast cancer screening and making that. Um, uh, so, so they would. Prote- one of the inventions was amazing. It was to protect a, the. If you're having radiation treatment on one breast, to actually make sure the other one wasn't getting, you know, large amounts of dosage, to, which was causing cancer actually in in the other breast. And the 18 year old basically put all this together. So. I can I can answer that already. I mean, I have seen the level of creativity and yeah. desire in in just 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 in, just in inventions in, in in Australia in the school system and in the kids from regional Australia to to the cities. I mean, it was remarkable. So that is there, converting those ideas to the next level. Let's work on that and make it happen. And it's 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 grooming isn't the right word, but it's keeping them. Engage in knowing that at the end of this hard work, you will have a job doing it. Because right now, they don't. You know, they 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 either have to make it or they have to go overseas. And that, you know, hopefully, the space agency addresses that. You know, we don't want our best and brightest to go somewhere else. I, you know, you want them to work for us. So it's pragmatic policy, but it's also inspirational policy. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, one criticism that's often leveled at space-related activities is that the government should be focusing on more sort of down-to-earth things like health or education or poverty and so on. Is that fair criticism? Yes and no. 
Sorry, that's a, there's a theme here. I, I think it's fair to say that we want to to improve the everyday lives of everyone and boost the, the quality of standard of living in this country. I think it's wrong to think that you can't do multiple things at once, right? You know, if you, uh, you know, only wash your left hand, your right hand's going to get disgusting after a while. Um, and so it's realizing that we have to do both. And I think this is the fundamental problem people have in their views of space. Space isn't just fun people doing fun things. It is. Space is an infrastructure thing. It is an everyday thing. You know, it's people will use multiple satellites and pieces of space infrastructure in their everyday part of lives. And I love the milk example. If you do not have a well-funded space system, your cost of milk is going to go to $20 a liter because farmers use it for efficiency from their watering to the transportation to the way they rotated their crops. And, you know, people think like, oh, no, you're not making sense. Like, go ask the people who do it and, and how much they and they use it. And so just as we would never ask another country to do our roads, to teach our students, to maintain our hospitals, why are we relying on other people to do this stuff in space? It's this classic out of sight, out of mind problem. So what does it do for me? Well, it's actually doing a lot in the background. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reality is if, if, if we just turned off everything that was related to space now, we wouldn't be able to live our lives at all. So we're well past the point of where you can just take space and put it in a category and go, oh, we're not going to fund it anymore. Yeah. It's so it's integral to absolutely everything we do. So we're well past that point. Um, and so, but also remembering it's it's a it's an industry that's growing at ten percent a year, ten percent, four hundred billion dollars. So, you know, I mean, whatever investment we do, it could be up at the three hundred million dollars a level. The government could invest that. It will get that back, basically long term. That's what it will get back. It's not even a money it will never see again. I mean, if you want to think of it just in practical terms, this, is, this could be Australia's next big in industry just up there with agriculture. And so it, it's, it's an investment, if, if that makes sense. So, um, Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it's this G, I, I love this GPS thing that was allocated in this budget. I mean, there was literally talk about how do we get everyone from all sectors in a room in a couple of weeks, because what is this going to do to your business? We can think of ideas, but there will be a lot of other people who have much better ideas, and it will just transform the way business and life is lived, and that's what you want. So there's quite a history of space research leading to technologies that have had enormous positive impacts on Earth, and you've talked about some of them today, uh, from satellites to communication developments and microelectronics. Um, what are some of the possible breakthroughs on the horizon that you're particularly excited about that we might see come out of this? That was today's discussion we were having, actually. <laughs> oh, very good time. Yeah, that's right. So um, in the mining sector, for example, so searching for um, gold deposits, uh, or for example, or just, uh, you know, deposits of interest to, to, to the mining industry here in Australia. And so um, that sounds possibly relatively easy. It's actually not. You can only do this um, at wavelengths that are invisible to the human eye in, in infrared wavelengths. That just happens to be where you can distinguish these types of mineral deposits. Um, you can't do that with optical cameras. Um, so you need to have the sensor package development to be able to do that kind of thing. But the implication here is that um, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's enabling the you know, mining and, um, 
um, that kind of uh, in industry to be a little bit more efficient and and to be digging in the right place, as it were. Um, so that's something we could be doing right now. And that's sort of, of course, got definite economic benefits to Australia. It's, it's obviously one of its biggest industries. Um, the area of um, something called uh, optical communications is a huge topic globally. And it just so happens that Australia has some real uh, um, expertise at ANU and across the country in the various technologies that are going to enable this. So what we're talking about, well, the way we communicate now is at radio frequencies. We send radio signals up to satellites. They beam them back down again to wherever they need to go. But you're limited because you work at these wavelengths. You're limited to how much data you can transmit. And it's also very hard to make it secure, very difficult. But if you switch to optical, if you switch to lasers, which work at optical wavelengths, not only can you now transmit huge amounts of data, um, point to point to any two, you know, to any two people on the planet, they can basically now be able to communicate with huge bandwidth, but also it can be encrypted so that only those two people can actually, can actually get the data. And so you can imagine the benefits of this across the board globally to anyone who can make this work. And Australia just happens to have the right groups who can work in this area both in the area of, um, of the encryption and in the area of something um, really funky called quantum memory, uh, which is a, an essential tool to this story. And um, so it's, it's incredibly exciting. So this is something that's happening now, and it's something that Australia can really just jump straight into and maybe in 10 years be part of that first collaboration who are proving this on Sky. What about, you, what about you, Brad? What are you most excited so, about? I mean, those are true. I mean, I like some of these these lofty ideas that are talking about, you know, the, the, the reusable rocket technology that SpaceX has developed that is slowly making its way here means that you can start assembling in space. One of the things that's flown on the radar is the successes people have have what we call 3D printing, but 3D printing in a vacuum and, and, and so in the vacuum of space. So you can essentially manufacture things in space, which means that – you know, right now it's about $20,000 to get a liter of water into space roughly based on launch costs. It, that's a lot. We can, you can imagine that then if you're ma- building infrastructure, you have to get that stuff into it. But to being able to do things uh, in space and building in space, um, and Australia has a great leading technology in 3D printing and 3D manufacturing – that can apply to this. And we've been chatting about things like asteroid mining. When you start to do the sums, isn't as extreme as it seems. Um, and so some of these lofty ideas, when you break down the components, are not as hard. In fact, the hard parts are the legal and the policy aspects. The technical things will just come and be solved. And so you can think that in 20 years, the world that we will live will be drastically different than the world we live now. And we're in this... I would say we're in the second great space race, and the space race is not government to government. It is private company. It is industry. And in fact, one of the people you have to thank is most people don't realize is George Bush. He, he helped private industry get involved in the space program, which opened up the doors, which Barack Obama widened with getting private companies to the space station. And that's really opened up. That is why we are in the world we are now. Um, it's interesting. 
Sounds like we're at the start of a really interesting time. Finally, Brad, I want to bring us a bit closer to Earth and pick your brains about something I understand you're involved with. Uh, It's a space-related world record that's going to be happening right here in Canberra at the Australian National University. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so we, so ANU and ABC have been involved with Stargazing Live. So this is now the second year. So ABC Stargazing Live is inspired by a BBC show. Uh, and it's hosted for three days on television on ABC. And it's hosted at um, our other observatory, our Dark Sky Sighting Spring. So this is where we have all our big telescopes and it's dark and not near a town. Um, it's a great place. Uh, and so we're doing it again. And, and as part of this, we're getting a way for people to be involved in the story. Uh, and so we're hosting star parties all across the country. I think there's now 270 locations that will host events uh, in Australia. Uh, and a, the main one or the big one, um, there will be one in Brisbane. And the other big one is here in Canberra uh, on the 23rd of May. And so we're going to break a record that we set. It, we're breaking our own record from 2015 uh, to do to see the most people stargazing at one time in a country. So Everyone will have to be in parties all across the country looking at the sky for the same 10 minutes. Uh, And then we get a Guinness World Record. You know, it's one of those fun things. And it's exactly what we were talking about earlier. It's that that looking upward. It's that inspiration. And it's that realizing that these things that, you know, we're talking about, no one ever thinks that they're going to change the world. You just end up doing it. I never thought I was going to be doing space stuff and astronomy. Definitely never did. Um, and it's to realize that these these big questions and these big things that people are doing, everyone was a child and everyone looked at the stars and realized what was possible. And this is what we're trying to do and have fun doing it. And uh, Anna will be hosting a, an event at Parliament House actually for Parliament because it's a sitting week. And space is for everyone. The skies are for everyone. The International Astronomical Union has always – had this motto that it is for everyone. Um, And I think that's what the Australian Space Agency as part of this long story will be is helping everyone benefit from improvements in space and looking upward on May 23rd, next Wednesday, um, we'll just be part of it. So what's the current record and what is it you're going for? So the current record is 7,980 people looking at the same time through an optical device, so a telescope of pair of binoculars, um, in 37 locations. So we have to beat both the number of locations and the number of people. So at 270 locations. You smashed yeah, the locations. Yeah, yeah. and we're, we have – we in order to do this, the trick is you have to have everyone looking through a telescope when most people don't. So like even a family of four needs four telescopes. So we went and bought 30,000 telescopes. There's literally three shipping containers that arrived in the port of Brisbane last week uh, addressed to me. Um, not the first time because I had – what, so to do this in 2015, we ordered 10,000 telescopes and sold all 10,000 and because uh, not everyone qualifies because of weather. So I was like, all right, let's just order 30. Um, we, should, we should have around between 30 and 40,000 people. Um, so when the record existed in 2015, it was like 1,200 people across 18 sites. Like, oh, we'll beat this. And I wanted to do it so that there were no one so, – we would never get anyone crazy enough to break it again. And then I realized the only crazy enough person than me is me. Uh, 
So next year we can expect so, so, you to be yeah, having yeah, the so same conversation. There will never be a crazier person to attempt this. Because the trick is it has to be in one country. So how do you have that many places and that many people? It's actually kind of tough to do, you know, a small country doesn't just have that many locations. Um, so we even have a site in uh, Macquarie Island F- off Antarctica um, participating. Um, they all have binoculars. All 12 people are participating. I can imagine that the uh, purchase, well, the moment you press the purchase button on 30,000 uh, telescopes must have been a very anxious moment for you. So when I did this in 2015, our director promised uh, that uh, he would take my passport if I didn't sell all of them. Um, I did and didn't tell him I had a second passport just in case. But, um, you know, so it was a bit nerve wracking, but we knew it was successful and it has been. And it's because people like – the. Astronomy in space has this way of bridging political and religious and philosophical and policy borders and is a way to get people who might not otherwise talking, talking. Uh, That's the whole point of what we're doing with the ABC and Stargazing Live um, and showcasing the breadth of what we're doing in this country because, you know, it goes back to something that Anna said in the beginning. We have all of these great things happening, but you don't hear about it. And the reason people hear about NASA is not just because they have good PR people. It's because there's 14 different centers plus smaller groups all across the country. You don't hear about that one individual group. It's just NASA. But it's actually a bunch of smaller people all across the country. And when you put the sum of the parts together, we have a great story here. And it's making sure that story is told and well-maintained. So just finally, Brad, if people want to get involved in this, how do they so do So if that? they search for um, ABC Stargazing Live and Star Party, um, or if you go onto Facebook and search for World Record Stargazing, you can find your nearest site. And around Canberra, it will be at uh, Fellows Oval at ANU on starting at six o'clock. Um, but if you don't happen to be in Canberra, there's ones in every, there's at least five in every state and territory in Australia. And have you been have been able to do anything to control the weather to make sure that people can actually see? Uh, I'm ignoring that for now. Look, we just have to look at a celestial object and we've picked it so the moon will be nice and fairly bright. So even through a little bit of cloud, you can see the moon. So we, we've hedged our bets. Well, really exciting times. I it wish is. you all the best of luck Thank with you. the record. And I will I'm be looking there. forward to May 24th. Let's say that. <laughs> Wonderful. Brad and Anna, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That was Anna Moore and Brad Tucker speaking with me there. And my thanks again to both of them for their time. What did you think of the discussion today? I thought it was fascinating. Let us know your thoughts and we'll do our best to discuss them on upcoming podcasts. Just email to podcast at policyforum.net. On that note, I want to say huge thanks to all of the listeners who have emailed and tweeted and Facebooked us comments and thoughts about earlier podcasts. So I want to read a couple of them out. On our podcast on taxing robots with Roberta Mann, we got a comment from Neymar Lufti Talib, who wrote another very insightful chat on automation and taxation. Thank you. I agree with Professor Mann and Sharon, our attempt to tax robots should aim for improving human welfare. That's a good point. Well made, I think, Neymar. And on our podcast on Australia's new home affairs mega ministry, we got a comment from Andrew Davis, who was actually one of the guests on that podcast. He was replying to a tweet about whether Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton is a fit and proper person to wield the sort of enormous power that actually comes with heading up that ministry. And Andrew said, 
I have concerns above and beyond any current personalities. Intelligence powers are not to be used lightly in a liberal democracy. And on the same topic, we got a comment from Carl Witt, who says, The Home Affairs Department will fix a system that wasn't broken. The new super authority has way too much power and little oversight. I think these are fairly common concerns, and we've heard them quite a lot in response to the podcast. My thanks to everyone who has left us thoughts and comments on the podcast. We really appreciate them, so please keep sending them in. Finally, if you enjoyed today's podcast, consider giving us a rating on iTunes. It's a small gesture. It will only take you 30 seconds or so. You click on the stars, hopefully five stars, uh, and uh, doing so will go a long way in helping us get the word out about the podcast. That's all for today, but we'll be back next week with more. Cheerio for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.